Episode 210 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with Yuri Alkem. Rightio team, welcome along to episode 210 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. I've got an interview today with a man by the name of Yuri Alcam. It was an interview, um, what am I going to say? He is basically a guy who trains fitness professionals in entrepreneurism or how to help them be successful. So it's it's kind of maybe a little bit different to what I normally do because he's got a pretty interesting story. um, And it's just just one of those guys who's just some insights into the conversation. So we don't go deep into the entrepreneurial side of it because it's kind of not what this show is about. Um, But there's definitely that kind of slight slant towards it. And it's just, you know, it's just some really good insight into kind of healthy living. And uh, he's been through some some pretty interesting experiences as well. So I've got that coming up really soon. But before we do, um, I got an interview, I got an email through from a young, I think I think this is a pretty young fellow, because if you look at his Facebook, uh, his photo, uh, it looks like he's pretty young. Because I'm just looking at his Gmail profile. Let me put it up here. So Gmail profile. No, I can't even see. I can't see. But it looks like it's a young fella who's a tennis player, he's got Luke Tennis, his name is Luciano Parnell, and he sent me through an email, and he says, hey Bevan, it's Luciano here, I think someone who might, you might be able to help me, I'm 15, oh there he goes, 15, he tells me an email, I should just read that, uh, I'm 15 year old who plays tennis, at the moment I'm struggling to play tournaments as I'm extremely anxious, and he asked basically, is there anything that I can cover, or any tips I can give him on how he can overcome this problem and it was quite time now admittedly he sent this to me about two or three weeks ago so you know I'm getting into it now but it's quite timely that I talk about this today because one of the things that makes me nervous in life right now is playing live music and since my band's been taking things a bit more seriously and we've been recording our album we've had a couple moments where we've played live and um, the first time I was, I think we've played probably four times live now. Uh, the first time we played three songs, I looked at my keyboard the whole time, I was shaking, hands were shaking the whole time, it was, I was nervous as you wouldn't believe. Second time we played a 40 minute set, maybe next time we played a 40 minute set, kind of in an open mic setting. So what if you don't know much about music, open mic means that it's any band can kind of go along and just get up and play music but um these ones were kind of like in an open mic setting but we got to play a little bit longer so we're kind of like a featured band in an open mic night so while it was a step up for me it was this moment where i was you know it wasn't a high pressure if you know what i mean like it was you could make your mistakes and so in some ways i was nervous going into those ones but you know the couple of times i did them i got a little bit better and what we've done is every time we've played we've videoed ourselves and so each time i've kind of watched myself and i've, I've just seen that like if you watch my stage presence in these first couple of times i didn't really have much stage presence and then the last time before, you know i had a little bit of stage presence especially in the last three songs but i'm not very interesting on stage at this stage and so as you kind of do each of these experiences you get these little work-ons that you're aiming to improve on and so that's kind of been the trajectory and the last couple of weeks we've been just trying to get the album finished Dave the, the guitarist singer he's kind of just got to finish the last parts of the vocals so we're kind of just going through this kind of project management of getting our album recorded well about three weeks ago Dave sent a message through saying there's well, this is actually a cool compliment because we've got a, a Ren, we've got an engineer who's engineering our music and Ren is I think I may have even talked about him on this podcast because he's just a bloody rock star. And when I say rock star, I don't mean rock star as in like a musician, although he's that as well. What I mean is he's an amazing engineer. And Ren obviously likes our music because Ren has got us opportunities to do live performance. And Ren's really well known in the local scene. He's He's got a really strong band. He plays all the time. So he's kind of got us some gigs. Now, the thing about that Ren doesn't know, Ren's seen our music from our album, but he's never actually seen us play live. And so about three weeks ago, Dave came through and said, Bev, there's this four-band event happening in Christchurch on the 15th of May. And what we want to do, is, Ren's asked if we want to be a part of this four-band thing, you know, because he can get us in the door for this four-band thing. And at this moment, it was a bit of a step up. 
Like, because before this moment, I'd done one open mic, which is, you know, three songs, pretty basic. And then we'd done a couple longer sets, but it was in an open mic setting. But this was like four bands putting on a show. People had to pay to come see. So it was kind of this, you know, it was a, it was a more of a serious thing. And when Dave put it out, I actually had a function on that night. So I said to him, look, mate, can you, I, I, I can make it work, but I will have to leave the function. So can you just let me know ASAP? Well, time goes by and... I hear nothing of it. So I'm kind of in my mind, I'm just thinking, you know, that, that's not going to happen. And then this Tuesday, just Tuesday just been, I get a message from Dave saying, Saturday's confirmed. And uh, I have to admit, it was a really interesting moment in my life because I instantly felt resistance. I felt resistance. And why did I feel resistance? Because I felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable because this was a step up for me. And this was a step up in, in, in quite a big jump. Like, to be honest, I think I probably needed another four or five open mic type of environments to be more confident of me on stage. And this was like, we're presenting ourselves as a band and to other musicians that are obviously bands out there playing, uh, you know, it was, it was the next level kind of presentation. And, and I think in my development pathway, it's kind of like I'm fast forwarding to get to this place. And so it was really interesting because I found myself wanting to create resistance and I kind of had an easy out because my easy out was we had this function and I could have said, look, you know what, this function is actually going to be running at the time they want us to play. So unfortunately, sorry, mate, but I just can't make it. Now, I knew the resistance was there to keep me safe. I knew that the resistance was there to not want me to take a risk where I could be vulnerable. So luckily for me, as much as I felt the resistance in my and my head was trying to get me to to stop myself from doing this resistance thing, I knew I had to say yes. Now, luckily, it did actually work around the function that we were having. Um, my friend was having a birthday party. We weren't actually playing. The band wasn't playing till ten, so I could pretty much go to the party about five and leave about just after nine. So it worked out well. The, the timing was never an issue. It was just that was my resistance making me think I could use it as an excuse. So then. Then what happens is we kind of, on the day, so this was actually yesterday, on the day you have to go and do a sound check. Now we haven't even done a sound check as a band before, so you kind of turn up to this, we had to go along at like four o'clock, and you turn up to the venue, and it's a kind of, think of a pub, but it's a pub who likes live music, so they've got a really good stage set up, um, lovely owners, they're really lovely people, and you know, they obviously cared about music because you could just see they supported a lot of local local live music. And so it was really great because they had a good sound system. They had a guy there to do your sound work. The lady who owns it, she was really lovely. So it was just a really cool environment. And you walk in and the first band was already doing their soundtrack and they sounded great. Like they sounded really good. And then another band starts walking in and this guy starts singing and he sings really awesome. <laughs> you know, like... And uh, I remember Dave came up to me in my band. He goes, how are you feeling, Bev? And I go, I've got to be honest, I'm feeling pretty nervous, mate. Now, now this is only in the sound check. This is only, in, this isn't when we're playing, get up in front of playing in front of like a pub full of people. So this is in the sound check. And so we kind of, the first band does their sound check and they take about 25 minutes doing the sound check and we're just all sitting around and feeling a little bit vulnerable. And so then Dave, luckily for me, Dave took the initiative because the sound could have taken forever. So he basically, once the first band finished, Dave jumped up and said, okay, we'll go next. <laughs> we kind of got to the front of the queue, which is good because I kind of had other things to do. And we get up there and you're basically standing in this pub, you know, pretty empty pub with the other bands just sitting there watching you. And I was so nervous. And we decided to do, just play a song twice just to make sure the sound was okay in the room. So we kind of chose a song and it was the easiest song I play in the band. It was by far the easiest one I have to play. Uh, there's levels of song in the band. Uh, you know, some, I've got some, probably a third of them are pretty easy, a third of them are mid-range and then I've got maybe, it's probably, you know, a quarter of them are easy, half, half of them are mid-range and then a quarter of them are a, a little bit more challenging for me. And so we, we chose a song and I said, let's do this one because I didn't want to go for one of those ones where it was really risky. And we were playing and I am like, like so, so nervous. And we start playing. And the thing about me, which is interesting with music, is when I get nervous, my hands get shaky. So I have this thing in one of our songs where I literally have to do two fingers, like bang, bang. Like, just, just think two fingers go bang, bang. That's all I have to do. Like, it's the most simplest thing you can think on a music key. You go from one key to the next. You just go, ba, ba, 
ba-ba, ba-ba. That's like all I had to do. So it's, it's, that's, it's more than 101. You could teach a two-year-old how to do this and, and they'd get it right. Well, I'm, I'm playing this practice song and my hands are shaking so much. I, I, I couldn't, I, I, was, I was cocking it up. You know, like we, we got through the song and, um, and, and Dave, I knew, I could tell Dave was feeling a little bit nervous and we're probably feeling a little bit judged and we're a bit worried about what everyone's thinking in the room and we play it once and then we kind of go, oh, let's just do it again and we play it again. And, but we by no means mastered it in the sound check. So I leave there and now it's about five hours, six hours before we we're actually going to, well, by the time sound check was done, it's probably about five hours before we'd get there. And I leave there and I'm driving home and I'm, I've got that, that anxiety that Luciano is talking about here is I've just got a, an amazing, overwhelming sense of anxiety. And I was thinking, how am I going to play tonight? Like, how am I going to play? A, I'm playing to a level that I don't think I'm ready for yet. B, look at what just happened there. Like my one, my, my, one of my, well, the most basic song I'm going to play in the band, I'm shaking so much I can't even get it. I can't make it work. So I'm kind of in this moment of anxiety. And I just knew I had to work through it. You know, like I, I couldn't, you know, it's too, I can't say, oh, this function's on now and I can't make it tonight. I can't pull out now. You know, it's, it's not like an athlete. You can say, oh, I, I broke my leg. You know, I couldn't say, oh, my piano got stolen. You know, you know like I... I've, I've got to get up on stage that night. So in my mind, I had to work through the anxiety I was working through. And Luciano, hopefully some of the stuff I'm going to give you here, and I might give you a process to work through as well, but I just think I would share what I did. So the first thing I did is I switched it. I, I switched it from being shit-scared and vulnerable and, and insecure to thinking, how cool is it? That I have this feeling in my life. How cool is it that I this this anxiety, this kind of fear, this insecurity that I have it? Because what does it mean? It means that I'm the kind of person who's willing to take on challenges to grow to be what I want to be as a person. That's what it means. It means I'm the kind of person, I'm gonna say it again because it's so important. I'm the kind of person who's willing to take on challenges that will grow to help me become the person I want to be. Now, if, if I want to be, you know, in my goals, it's to be in a live performing band with our own music, with a fan base, who, fan base who loves our music. That's my goal. So if that's my goal, I've got to, I've got, I'm going to have this feeling more. And so when I have this moment of anxiety, it's telling me I'm doing the right thing. And for you, Luciano, I want you to think of that. So when you feel extremely anxious, if you want to be a better tennis player, mate, you're going to have to have more of these times. And while that's not necessarily a nice feeling, you want to reframe it to realize that, mate, you're, it's so amazing that you're the kind of person who does that. Because so many people don't do it. So many people, when they get that feeling, they do what I do. They, 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 did, what, they did the thought that appeared in my head, that one of maybe if someone steals my piano out of my car, I won't have to play. Or maybe I'll fake an injury so I don't have to step up to the challenge for athletes. The fact that you're feeling this way, mate, means you've been, means you've been courageous. It means you're, you're, you're trying to improve in life. And I think that's really important. So the first thing to really identify there is you need to reframe what anxiety means. And it doesn't mean that the feeling's gonna feel any better. It doesn't mean you're not gonna have the anxiety. But when you reframe it, it, it does shift. And that was one thing that helped me. The second thing I think is really important to think about is often when we go to anxiety, we can go to the negative space. So we can see everything that's going to go wrong. So if, if I'm feeling anxiety and then I can just put my all my focus on what will go wrong in that situation. And so it could I you know, I can see this myself. I could just think, oh, well, I, I'm gonna stuff up songs, I'll miss bits, I'll forget bits, you know, I'll, I'll I'm I'm gonna make us look poor on stage. These are kind of the thoughts I was having as I was feeling more anxious about it, not more proud of myself. So I think it's really important to be aware of catching when the anxiety or that feeling that you have in yourself is putting your focus on what's going to go wrong or what is wrong with you. It's so important. What could go wrong or what's wrong with me? Now, I caught that within myself. And the first thing I did again was just to do that reset of, 
that kind of um, that reset of I'm, I'm I'm proud of the fact I have this moment in my life because it means I'm challenging myself, and then I and then I I caught where I was doing that thing of where could this go wrong or what's wrong with me, and then I just needed to find a new focus, and I spent a, I spent a bit of time thinking about this. I spent I really just thought about what's the minimal I should get out of tonight, you know what's the minimal I can deliver on that is a step forward in my progress. And, and I, put, I put it down to three things. I put it down, to, well, I found three words that were my focus. First was relax. And that was that kind of thing of just um, try to relax because you'll be fine if you relax. Okay, so try to relax because you'll be fine if you relax. The second thing was what I said, music. And what did music represent? Well, if, if, if I just stood there and no stage presence at all and looked as boring as, as anything, but I still played the song well, that was a pass because the song is the most important thing. Now, I'm trying to develop into a musician who has a stage presence, who has this thing where people go, well, what's this guy on? You know, I, I want to I wanna have an, a visual representation, a visual kind of stimulation about the way I present myself as a musician moving forward. And that was one of my targets for last night's session. But in this moment where I was feeling this extreme anxiety that I couldn't focus on being expressive in how I played, at a minimal, I had to get the song. So I had to make sure I played the song well. And then thirdly, my third word was trust. Trust. And what did I mean by that? Well, I do the work. This week, I've played our songs probably four hours, four to five hours. Practiced my songs, broken them down, played them with the, the backing tracks with the bands, played them really loud, played them quiet, focus on the bits that I knew I kind of struggle with when I'm playing. I, I'd done the work. So I could trust that I'd done the work. And those three words became a bit of an affirmation in my head. It was um, relax, music, trust. And, and I just kept on putting that in my head. And now when the, the thoughts that took me away from that came along, I was just like, no, no. And, and I suppose if you put that as a base layer, it was first, I'm proud that I have this feeling inside myself because I'm challenging myself and I'm going to grow because of it. And then relax, music, trust. And whenever I felt the anxious feeling, I just keep kind of, I had to consciously do this. I had to consciously keep pointing myself back to, no, no, relax. It's awesome that you have this feeling. Relax, music, trust. Now, I'll turn up to the venue. Um, the band before us are playing, they're doing a great job. Um, it was a good sized crowd. And um, luckily for us, Dave, I, I, see this is where I'm at for my music playing, I don't tell people to come watch us yet, even my best mates, even Joe, my wife hasn't seen me play yet, because I want to be more competent before I'm, I bring people along, um, so that's where I'm at, you know, that's, you know, and I'll get there, and it's not, you know, I just want to be able to, when people turn up to see me, I want to be able to say, show that I'm in a good place, uh, so, but I turn up and Dave, our singer, he brought lots of mates along, so it was a good sized crowd, we get up, and, and I just, I, I took a moment, I did a breathing technique that Andrew Huberman said when he was on our show. I did the technique. I said to myself, Bev, relax, music, trust. Relax, music, trust. We start playing a song. I'll admit the first song I was a little bit nervous. Um, but it, it moved on pretty quickly. And what was really interesting was I was able to get to the place where I was a lot more present in the moment. And I think that's what anxiety takes you away from. I'll give you another example. I do these body attack filmings for Les Mills, and it's high-level stuff. I've done them for years. Um, I'm real experienced at them. But my last one I did, I did feel anxiety before we started. And in this case, I think it's because I was slightly underprepared, not in myself, but as a team, we hadn't prepared as much as we normally would. And I like to, I, 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 I've got trust when I know I'm prepared. And in this one, I did it. And I remember in the first couple of songs, I just made a couple of mistakes I never make. No, no, it weren't major. No one probably really saw them, but I knew I'd, oh, I dropped the ball a little bit there. And then about song three, I said, oh, was, trust yourself. You, you, you've got this. And once I went to that, I was able to go to the place of being present in the moment of the experience. And ultimately, that's kind of what happened last night. Now, now last night, was I a rock star? Did I make, did I make no mistakes? Did I, was I perfect? No. 
Definitely not. But my development pathway, there were plenty of little mistakes I made. I didn't make any massive mistakes. There was no moments where I was like, oh my God, I've cocked up here, what do I gotta do? You know, when, when my anxiety was in the wrong place, when I thought of the worst case scenarios, it was none of that happened. There were little moments where I was like, okay, I need to fix up on this. There's definitely things I need to do here. Um, I actually did evolve in the area that I wanted to, which was me expressing myself. I've watched the video and and I definitely am way more expressive. I'm definitely more of a stage presence. I'm, I'm, I'm no bloody Axl Rose, but it's going in the right direction. I got off stage and I think I got... I, Music's a funny one, but if we got off stage, and this is what's really cool, because your friends are going to tell you you've done well, because your friends are your friends, but as soon as we finished, both both owners, and so the owner and the guy who's the sound guy, came up and gave us a card and said, we want to get you back ASAP, so we've got something right, um, and I think it's because we've got good songs, you know, and obviously we've got some kind of stage presence, but I felt amazing. I, I could, like seriously afterwards I got home because I watched the next couple of bands afterwards to support I got home at midnight I probably didn't get to sleep till four because I was just buzzing because I felt amazing now if I had let anxiety hold me back from that I would have never had a growth experience I would have never learned lessons that are going to help me further on in my growth experience I would have never had a cool experience with the guys in my band I would have never had the feeling of actually feeling comfortable in some songs I would never had that feeling of that buzz of just not being able to go to sleep because I was so excited so when we think of anxiety anxiety is ultimately there to stop us and Luciano if, if you want to become a better tennis player you're going to have more of these moments. But you, for you to become a better tennis player, what you've got to do is develop some techniques around how you handle anxiety. And to kind of, as you kind of decipher what I've just talked about here, first of all, I'd say you've got to reframe it. You've got to reframe it to just this means that I'm willing to challenge myself. And for me to become a better tennis player, I've got to get, I've, I've, I've got to be proud of the fact I have this feeling inside myself. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy, but when I have it, like I remember just when I was driving to this, you know, to, I'd left the party that I was, I was driving to the, and I was just thinking, you know, that, that feeling that you get. And I was just thinking, how cool is it that I have this? So that's what you've got to do, Luciana. And then you've got to catch when that feeling creates negativity or doubt in self, and then find a process. So my process was just to find some kind of keywords that would help me focus. You'll probably find some more yourself. You maybe go back and listen to some of these other episodes I've done with this that can help you find other techniques as well. But just really trying to find techniques that put your focus on what's going to help you get what you want to get out of it. And I think just one thing as well is because sometimes you, sometimes even when you do all this work, you still really cock up. You know, like sometimes, like last night I would say was this a really success based on where we are for our, our band. And it's particularly for me and my own journey of this. I think it was a real success. Have I got a lot of improvement? Definitely. But it was definitely a step in the right direction. But sometimes you, you do get up there and you feel anxious and you don't perform. And it's really important when you have those moments that it does not become an excuse to stop. Because one thing I guarantee, mate, is you can grow. And, and you can continue to grow. And along the way, you're going to have some really disappointments. But if you have disappointments and it stops you from progress, that's when anxiety wins. And so, again, reframe, catch if it's negative or doubtful, find strategies that will help you put focus on what you want to focus on and then try to get to the place where you're just present in the moment ultimately if you can go and, and just develop other tools as well mate you know the fact that you're even thinking about this shows that you know if you're willing to do the work mate you're going to get through this so hopefully i've given you some tips here that can help you with anxiety um but it, but probably the last thing I'd say is work on it. So you might want to spend some time, grab a piece of paper, grab a workbook, and actually kind of work through some of the answers to these questions. And, you know, just kind of do a bit of a plan, kind of like what you would with a goal session. Because it's one thing for just me to do you talk about this, but you've got to keep practicing and practicing and practicing. And what you find is, it's like with runners. I was speaking to a lady the other night, and she was saying, running never gets easy, does it, Bevan? And I was like, well, that's not true. It's just that you keep getting better and you want more. Because this lady's kind of like doing our 10K program right now. And she's just kind of saying, Bevan, running never gets any easier. And I said, well, if you went back, because she's been running for us for about maybe three or four months now. And she started when she was doing 30 seconds of light jogging, followed by three and a half minutes of walking. And now she's running like nearly 10Ks. And she's like, running never gets any easier. And I said, well, if you went back and did three, three and a half minutes of walking and 30 seconds easy, do you think it'd be easy? 
I said, oh yeah, that'd be really easy. And I was like, yeah, it does get it does get easier, but you're always progressing. And that's what you want to remind yourself of, mate, is this is a journey. And you're going to learn some really cool skills, not just as a tennis player, because obviously you're pretty passionate, because I love the fact, you know when someone's pretty passionate, when their email address has the thing they're passionate about. Luke says, Luke Tennis one that's his email. I won't give the last, I won't give the whole email out. But, but you know, he's got tennis in there because he loves tennis so much. My first email address, but it's not anymore, was BivAttack because I loved body attack so much. So, mate, you're passionate. You're going to grow so much as a person. So, this is just, a, this is just you growing. This is you becoming a better version of yourself, mate. So, good on you for asking the question. Hopefully, I've given you some insight there. Um, that was a long first gist of the show today, but I just wanted to go deep into that because it was a pretty important subject. If you want to become a patron of the show, you go to bevanjamesisles.com. Um, these people, you just you, you donate some money every time I release a show. It really helps me in what I do. And it, it, just, you know, I really appreciate the support of the patrons. And when you become a patron, you get a cool nickname. And these people are some of the patrons who already have. We've got Ian Rise to the Top Rose, because his name's Rose. So he, he runs in our groups. He's, Ian is the most lovely man. He's just the really nicest guy. Um, and I always say he rose to the top. So that's why it's Ian Rose to the Top. Uh, we've got Shan, Michelle Van Denventer. Moon Dance. We've got Jessica Lee, the leader of the pack. We've got a BB Frail. She's going to City Hall. We've got Hayden Ryan, the smooth operator, and Skip Slade. And it's I Will Never, because his last name's Skip. Oh, sorry, his first name's Skip. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com, click on podcast, go to support me, and then once you do that, you go through the Patreon process, and then every time I release a show, you just donate a little bit of your hard-earned money my way. For those who already are patrons, thank you so much for supporting me and what I'm doing. Right out here is the interview with Yuri right now. Radio team, so we've got Yuri Alcam on the show today. Welcome along to the show. How's it going, man? Oh, I'm really good. So, so uh, give us your history. We go from day one. How did we had to get to where you are right now? Day one. Oh, well, maybe not day one, but <laughs> early on, I'd say by well, sort of ten. So, at the age of ten, I knew I wanted to play professional soccer. That was my dream for whatever reason. So, I spent the next ten years just training and playing and, and trying to make that happen. So growing up, I was very fit, but I wasn't necessarily healthy. And I didn't recognize that until I was 17 when I lost all of my hair to an autoimmune condition. What, what, was, what was the condition? Alopecia. Oh, yeah, the alopecia. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Can I, can I ask? Yeah, Identity-wise, how you know, because obviously there's the athletic side of it, but also identity, you know, here, mm-hmm. especially for a young person, what was that like? Well, it was my senior year of high school. And my dad's Moroccan, so I did have a lot of hair to begin with, right? Yeah. So my, my brother teases me. He's like, yeah, I remember the days where you used to spend half an hour in the bathroom quaffing your hair. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I think identity-wise, it was weird because, you know, one day I'm walking down the halls with bushy eyebrows and long brown hair. And then I start getting these patches, and it's starting to look really weird. And then a couple of weeks later, it's, it's like this. So I think initially I felt like a bit of an alien kind of walking through the halls and seeing how other people looked at me. Uh, To be honest though, I think I handled it pretty well because I think part of my, like some of my dad's side of the family, they, they freaked out a little bit more than I did. I was like, it's only hair. I mean, like there could be worse things, but it was a real, it was a blessing and a kick in the butt. So it was number one is a kick in the butt to be like, Hey, why did this happen? Let's kind of maybe figure out, you know, get to the root of it and maybe fix it. Yeah. and um, blessing because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if that hadn't happened. Okay. So Couldn't I think every direction happens. in life. Yeah, totally. So I think everything happens for us. So 17 lost my hair in the space of about six weeks. Um, kept playing soccer, you know, finished on my school. I was able to play professionally in, in my early twenties for a number of years. And when I came back uh, to Toronto, I was like, so I actually finished my undergrad degree in kinesiology. And then I went over to France to play soccer when I came back, I was very interested in nutrition and I didn't really have a good understanding of it. So I went back to school to study nutrition. And during that time, I was, that's where like really the, my eyes were open big time to the fact that, oh, wow, my body was probably extremely polluted from a very young age with all sorts of toxic garbage. And that's 
probably why, um, you know, this happens. And when I learned all this stuff and started to clean things up, my hair regrew and it regrew in the space of two months. And it was pretty amazing. And I felt more energized than ever before. It was, it was really remarkable. Obviously I don't have any hair now. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I went to the doctor with my son. She's like, you should get a tetanus shot while you're here. I didn't even question her. So I did. And two weeks later, my hair fell out again. Anyways. Okay. So that's the journey. That's the story of, of that. Yeah. But it really, you know, again, I say this with like everything happens for us. Right. So I think that was, I don't, I have no like um, regrets or, you know, malicious intent against, you know, anyone, because as I said, like I wouldn't have been able to help as many people as I've been able to help had this not all happened. So going through that process, um, when I was in school, I started training clients and working with clients from a fitness and nutrition perspective and really enjoyed that. Like I really, really enjoyed helping people improve their health and yeah. see them transform. So I did that for the next seven years. And then I got burnt out because I was like one-on-one, -on -one, 12, 14 hours a day. It was just like, you know, sunrise till sunset. And it was very taxing. It's before I had kids and I was like, I don't really want to live my life like this forever. Yeah. And I think the, the, the nail in the coffin was uh, 2006. I went to Europe with my girlfriend, now wife. We went for six weeks. I'd saved up all this money. And then when we were traveling, all that money just went down and nothing else was coming in. Okay. <laughs> and that's when I realized the business model that I was working with in of like trading time for money was just was not scalable or sustainable. And I needed to find a better way. So that year I was working with a coach at the time. He said, well, why don't you do some stuff online? Like set up a website. This is just like when uh, the Apple iPod had come out. So the internet was relatively, you know, a little bit young. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I don't know what to, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's, let's give it a go. So we set up a website, had no clue what to do, but I learned all this stuff. I learned the HTML and enough of it to be dangerous and did everything myself initially. And that was my first kind of footstep in the door of, of the online world. And I thought it was going to be like this amazing sell eBooks, kick your feet up and enjoy the lifestyle. Yeah. And that's not at all what it was like. And <laughs> it took three years to get traction. So I was making poverty line income for three years, 2010. I'm like, dude, you should probably get some help. You don't know what you're doing. Cause I tried to do all this by myself. Yeah. So in 2010, I hired a coach, paid more money than I made in the previous year but I knew I had to do it. And that was really the inflection point where I started to be like, oh, this is how you do that. I'm introduced to some great people who became some really cool business partners and affiliates and started to really open up that world. And eventually we built that business to, you know, very, very high multiple seven figures, helped half a million customers, wrote a New York Times bestselling book, did all that stuff. And it was a great, really uh, a beautiful trajectory until it wasn't anymore. And what, what were you and by this? So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Bevan, but uh, a lot of people get into business and then like, it's great at first and it's almost like a toxic relationship, right? It's mm -hmm. like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? Yeah. So what happened was about 10 years into the business, it was so complex. Like we had so many products. It's like I'm talking about like courses, supplements, books, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it was just way too complex. We had too many funnels. We had all sorts of different stuff that we were doing. We were doing a lot of things well, but nothing really great. Okay. And I think we were bloated beyond what we needed to be. And I just started to look and like, what am I doing here, right? And I was in, we we're you know, impacting so many people's lives, but were we really? You know, I didn't know any of these customers. They were on the other side of the world or maybe down the street, they had bought a book. I don't know if they really transformed your life. You know, some people yeah. send in testimonials, but like, really, like, you don't know. So I started to really have an existential crisis. And at the same time, a lot of people in our space were asking me for business advice because they had seen You've what seems on the surface. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're like, yeah, yeah, like you're crushing it. I'm like, well, yeah, like we've had success and a lot of failures, happy to share what I'm doing. Um, but I knew for me, I needed to get out of that. And my current business healthpreneur was really birthed out of that process of seeing so many other health professionals not know how to market and build their business, which were some skills I had to develop because I had to over so long. Mm -hmm. And healthpreneur was born in 2015 as a way of helping other health professionals 
to really equip them with skills and know how to build better businesses that can impact more people. And the fundamental change that I made in, in this business was instead of it being high volume, low touch, healthpreneur is really the lower volume, high touch, but ultimately more scale because we're helping business owners build better businesses who can then in turn reach more people. So it's just for me a lot more fulfilling because I love interacting with my clients. I don't do one-on-one, -on -one, but you know, it's more of a group leveraged um, type of program, but it's just, it's amazing. Like I, I really, really enjoy seeing like clients like this and, and knowing really well at a deep level, like, yes, we're impacting their business and their life. And here's how, yeah. you know, as opposed to them just being like another customer. So that's been the journey and we're on a mission to help a billion people. And I love what I do. It's just, it's amazing to be able to make such a marked difference in people's lives from their business, from their lifestyle, but also the impact they can create. And so that's, that's what's got me to today. So there's a couple of questions I'd like to go into, but first of all, I know you've got kind of some topics you talk about. And one of them is this kind of idea of, and it is a big problem nowadays is that kind of, um, yeah, the grind, that kind of that thing of if you work more, you're a better person. Um, yeah. And I can't remember what book it was. I actually interviewed the author. Um, with, it was kind of talking about how in capitalist societies, if you work more, you're seen as a better person, whereas in more like socialist societies, like if you look at the, the Norwegian countries, uh, you're frowned upon for that. Like if you spend more, less time with your family and working, they kind of think, well, you're, that's a bad person. Whereas in like in capitalist societies, but what was really interesting about this book was more depression in capitalist societies, you know, because ultimately that value of what I own is what I'm worth mm -hmm. is a big problem. Um, and, and you talk a lot about this because we have got to this place where people think working is the answer. And, and, and now obviously we need to work and if we can find alignment, that's really great. But there's, there's this imbalance that's happening, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I think there's a badge of honor around the whole grind and hustle culture. Yeah. And I'm, I've never understood that. I think I've experienced burnout. So I, I kind of know what, you know, what that like, what that's like. I think a lot of people, even before like burnout since COVID has been a major issue, yeah. but even before, you know, more than half, at least in our space, half of, half of health professionals uh, report burnout as the number one issue that they have in their lives. That's a major problem, you know? And I think it's fundamentally, it comes down to the business model because if you, let's say as a health professional or a coach, are used to working one-on-one -on -one with clients and that's the only model you've ever been taught, the only way you can make more money and make more impact is by working more hours. Mm. And that, like, that's impossible to scale and sustain. And that's just on the delivery side. And then what about the marketing, right? So you got to do all these dancing videos on Instagram and yeah. post stuff that no one sees. Like it's, it's, it's very, very uh, challenging nowadays because of algorithms. You know, if you're relatively new, it's very tough to get traction. Uh, if you're using paid advertising, probably an easier place to start, but there's a little bit more risk there. So there's just a lot of things that I think, you know, people coming into business, they, it's weird. I don't know if you've noticed this, you know, we'll have clients that will pay $15,000 a month for their lease in a brick and mortar practice. Yep. And then they come online and they want to do everything for free. Yeah. You know, they don't yeah. want to spend 20 bucks a month on this platform or hundred bucks a month here. And I'm like, well, if you don't pay for anything, you have to use your time and energy for everything. So that's where you start seeing a lot of people like posting 24 hours a day on Instagram and doing TikTok videos and writing blog posts that no one sees. And they think that more is the answer, but the reality is that it's like pushing a boulder up a hill. And a lot of people don't know how to get through that because they only know what they know. And the biggest danger for most business owners is their blind spots is they, they can't see what they can't see. And if they think they're going you know, they think they're like, yep, I'm going to get to the sunset, but they're running east. It's not going to happen. So I'm, I've always been about working smarter instead of harder. And I think a big, big thing that I espouse is, is really building systems. And systems are fundamentally what, what allows a business to run independently of the owner. Right? And there's nothing wrong with having a practice where it's one-on-one. -on -one. That's totally fine if that's the business in life you want to live but also recognize that it's not really a business because if you step away for a week, you don't get paid, your clients don't get helped. Mm -hmm. So it's fundamentally dependent upon you. So I think really like thinking through how can I show up in a way of my life and in my business where I can create assets, I can create systems that 
don't compromise the quality of anything necessarily, um, but give you freedom from some of the things that maybe don't make a lot of sense for you to keep doing over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like systemize care and systemize delivery in such a way that compromises what you do with clients, um, but really looking at those elements that might make more sense to systemize, whether it's you know, how you market or you know, how you share content or whatever. But I think the other piece to this too is also looking at our role models, right? Who are we looking at online? And you know, people like Grant Cardone and Gary Vee, I think are, are tremendous. I think they're great people, but I think that their message, especially for the online entrepreneurial community has very much been seen as work 20 hours a day, never sleep, yeah. sleep, on your, sleep on the ground and uh, drive Uber during the day to pay for whatever you got to pay for. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that that's the best advice for people. Um, so I think that's uh, part of the culture that I'm seeing. On the flip side though, I think if you find, when you find the thing that you really love doing, your passion, the thing you're fully committed to, it's something that's going to light you up. It's going to get you out of bed in the morning first thing. And I think, you know, working at that, working hard at that, I think is great. I think there's a difference very much like with exercise between distress and eustress. You know, distress in the world of work is like doing stuff you hate. Eustress is like doing stuff you love. Mm. And I would say I probably worked about 40 hours a week. You know, but it's stuff that I, for the most part, that I love doing. And when I'm, when I catch myself doing things that are draining my energy, I need to step back and take inventory to be like, why am I doing this? Is this my zone of genius? Probably not. Is, is there someone else on my team that can do this for me? Or is this something that I can get rid of altogether or maybe hire for so I can spend more time in my genius in the work? And then when I'm not working, you know, having those parameters, like I've got four kids So I want to have very strict boundaries to say at this time I finish and I'm with the family. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, at least that's been a very, very important uh, component to think about. And I don't really think about work-life balance as much as I think about integration. Like right now my kids are all homeschooled because of lockdowns. I see them all the time. Like, I mean, it's actually funny. I see them sometimes less being at home with them all day than if I pick them up at school. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, it, it's, we kind of, you know, we hang out for half an hour at lunch. Yeah, or we'll go places. Yeah, like we just, you know, it is what it is. But I think the key is like, if you do what you love to do, it should energize you. But at the same time, you do need, like, you do need other things in life other than just like, you know, being in front of a laptop and typing away. So, so, so a couple of questions around that. So often you find, um, people who are entrepreneurial in spirit um, or, you know, just trying to get out there is they have two problems. A, they only get their value from work. And then B, um, they only think someone can do it as good as them. You know, no one, you know, and I'm sure you, you, I guarantee you've seen a million times this, you know, that kind of, no one does it as good as me, so I can't let go of it. So I'm kind of limited to how much I can expand. And then there's that B of, um, if they're afraid to give themselves time because they actually have nothing else in their life. You know, I, I can relate. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with that. And so, what would you say to people who are in that situation? So we'll address the the thing like I identify by my work type of conversation first. Yeah. I completely fall into that bucket because my two of my highest values in life are growth and contribution. So if I'm not contributing, I feel like I'm kind of wasting my time. Okay, it's you know, it's it's really interesting like you know mindset I've I've had to work through. And a couple of years ago, I took a two-month sabbatical. So this, as I was transitioning from my previous business to a healthpreneur, I took a two-month sabbatical. And I said, um, I'm, off, I'm off the grid. Uh, my brother who ran operations, we'd have dinner you know, here and there. He'd be, he was like, this is actually, it's better without you, to be honest. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> but the challenging thing with that two months was I was like, what the hell do I do with myself? Yeah. Because now I was like, I got to fill my time because otherwise it's very easy to open up a laptop and go check whatever. So I needed to create things to do in the space. And I think one of the most challenging things for any of us to do, at least for me is being alone, doing nothing. Right. And I like, I like thinking, I like, I like, I like laying in the grass and looking at the sky and thinking, I like doing that. And even during those two months, I'm still thinking about, stuff like business and ideas and that's just the way my brain is wired so i found it initially very challenging to like okay disconnect but what i found uh during that time and since then is for me at least what i've had to do is if i'm going to take a day off or a month off or whatever it is i need to fill that with something else that really excites me 
what is that? Well, at first I didn't, I didn't know. And what I started doing was I actually got my pilot's license. So I was like, I need something else that's going to give me, cause I know for me, I need, when I'm focused on something, that's when I'm most happy. So if I'm going to just sit in a chair and look at the stars, I'm not going to be happy. But if I can take on and learn a new skill, like learning how to fly a plane, that's a major undertaking in terms of like the physics of it, the learning, the practice. And that was a really, really exciting time that came as a result of taking that sabbatical. Cause I was like, man, I don't just want to like do nothing and watch TV or whatever, or even read books. I'm like, I can only read so many books before I need to do stuff. So I had to pick up a new skill, which was learning how to fly. Since then, um, it's really been about how can I, I, I love playing tennis. So if I'm going to take time off in the summer or if I want to be finished by noon, I need that space afternoon to be filled. Cause I'm like, okay, how can I get a tennis match or a, yeah. a tennis training session booked in? Or, you know, let me book in a, a paddle boarding session with the kids on the water. I need to start filling that schedule with other things. So I think the answer to that question, at least from my perspective is you need to find things outside of work that give you purpose for why you want to work in the first place. Nice. You know, it, it's not like you're going to work forever just so you can play tennis, yeah. but it's, you know, there's stuff outside of work. Like if you had all the money in the world and you never had to work another day in your life, what would you do? Yeah. You know? And like, for me, a lot of that would come down to, I still love my work and I'd still want to do it. Yeah. But okay. What else would you do? Mm -hmm. And I've had to sit with that quite a bit. I'm like, I don't know. Like, okay, well, I love playing tennis. I love being outside. And so I sort of had like, I had to start to build those things into my life so that when I did reduce time working, it was put into something else that I could focus on and really enjoy. So that's, um, I was going to say one thing to you. I think one thing that's yeah. also really important because you, you, to me, one thing we've got to do with you is we've got to build different esteem points in life. And that's what you're doing, isn't it? You bought pilot, you know, your piloting has now given you another area of life that gives you esteem and interests mm -hmm. and, you know, and so, and then your tennis. So you've got, what you're doing is developing a more multi-dimensional person, aren't you? And I think one thing that's really important at that moment is to accept you're going to be a beginner in the area because often if you, let's say you are really successful at business, you're a rock star over here it's really hard to go and be crap at something, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. uh, you know, cause there's kind of the ego component of that. And so, mm -hmm. the, you know, I love what you're saying, but also adding to that, the acceptance of, Hey, I'm a beginner in this area. I'm not gonna be a rock star. I'm on a development pathway. Enjoy that pathway. Enjoy what that's bringing to my life. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think if you've been in business for a long time, you recognize that like every master was once a disaster. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I think it's an important mindset. I completely agree with you. It's like, I tell my kids, like you've never skateboarded in your life. How do yeah. you expect to be amazing the first yeah. time? Like, yeah. Does that, does that make sense? And like, no, you're right. And they're like, but it's hard. I'm like, it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. Right. But if you, the more you accept how hard it is, the easier it is. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, if you've never worked out before and then you work out, you're like, why am I so sore? No one told me this. It's yeah. like, no, 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 you're, you're supposed to get sore. It's, it's okay. Yeah. That'll yeah. go away over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the sass, right? I uh, no, just just, just that thing question. of no one does it as good as me. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's, I think that's a story that you can either hold on to or you can let go of, yeah. right? And if you hold on to it, you have to recognize that the, the, the con or the downside to that is that you will never have freedom because you have to control everything. So basically, the more you control, the less freedom you'll have in your life. And I used to be like, I, I used to think that no one could do it as well as me. And there, there's probably still some areas in my life where I, I still feel that, but I see where that, well, I'll give you an example. Like my, we have four boys under 10 wow. and we've actually never had a nanny or never had help around the house other than my mom, you know, looking after the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife is someone who's, she doesn't like asking for help. And I think she's starting to recognize how much of a toll that's taken on her now. Okay. Cause now we have a two year old who's the youngest. And it's a lot of work, you know, and now with the kids homeschooled and like all that going on, I'm like, babe, like, do you understand how important it is that we get some help here? Like, we're not like, we're not expecting Mary Poppins. We're not saying someone's going to be as good at you as, as this. We're not saying delegate the parenting, but even if it's like, what are the things you don't enjoy doing? What are the things around the house that you hate doing? Laundry, cooking food, putting the dishes away, stuff like that. Great. We find someone to help us do that. And even if it's 80% as good as you can do, that's good enough. 
And I think the same thing applies in business is you have to look at what are the things that bring you the most joy that you bring the most value to the things that are like the really valuable things for you to do. And then really looking at, and there's probably only going to be a handful of things the most, but there's a huge list of stuff that is like, you know, five and $10 an hour tasks, right? Like things that you don't need to be doing that someone else could do. Those you want to get very good at getting off your plates because number one, it doesn't matter how good you are at doing them. You shouldn't do them. It's a waste of your time and it's not the most valuable use of your time. You can find an admin assistant, a VA, whatever, get those off. I think the challenge becomes where you have your zone of genius, which is like the things that light you up the most. And then one step down from there is your zone of competency, which is things that you've developed into becoming good at, good enough to be dangerous. But you're like, you know what? I don't know if I really need to hire someone or give this off. I mean, I can do it really well. But that zone there becomes very dangerous because these are the things that are important, but someone else can most likely do it as good, if not better than you. And it's recognizing, like for me, uh, it's stuff like copywriting. I've had to develop that skill over many years. I'm very good at it, but I don't look forward to it. And if I can give that away to someone else, that frees up a tremendous amount of time and energy for me. Even if I have to coach them to the point where they're 80 or 90% as good as I am, that's good enough for me because otherwise I'm never going to have freedom. So I think freedom and scale come as a result of being able to relinquish control. And that's going to involve surrounding yourself with great people. And I don't think anyone can achieve anything amazing by themselves. So, yeah. Um, you, you, you know, you've, you've started a business which is helping health professionals um, help people. Um, and and you, early on, you're kind of saying, and I, and I always think this is really interesting because I always think my measure is do people achieve the result? So like I've got a running business here in New Zealand and, um, and we're really proud because like we've got a beginner running product and, um, and we target non-exercisers, overweight, insecure of exercise and we have a 90% success rate. So to me, that's, that's our measure is do they achieve the goal? Um, and you were saying early on, you had built this massive business, massive outreach, but you kind of didn't necessarily see where they're getting there. And so you could look at the results and say, this is a successful business, but you weren't necessarily feeling that kind of that result on the other side. When you think about, because you work with health professionals, when you think about the health professionals who are really great at getting people results, mm-hmm. what characteristics do they have? Well, I think the number one thing that we look for is you have to be, you just have to be an expert. Like if you got certified as a coach last weekend, we're probably not going to be able to work with you. Yeah. I mean, we can, but the thing is confidence is very important when you are dealing with people to be able to sell yourself, to sell like, Hey, I have this protocol, this solution, this program that can transform your health, your weights, your hormones, whatever it is. If you don't have that confidence, which a lot of times comes from experience, mm. it's going to be very challenging for you to make a dent in whatever universe you're creating, right? So I think the number one thing that we look for is someone who has done the work. And the great thing is if you've gone to school, if you've, if you've been in practice for a number of years, you know, if you've run marathons and if you've helped others, like that's the hard, you've already done the hard stuff. Like you, you've earned your right to now play the game. But the thing here and that the thing that we see a lot of is the letters behind your name don't entitle you to a successful business, mm-hmm. right? So if you, if you have the MD, the ND, the DC, the PT, all that stuff, that's great. That gives you the right to play the game. Yeah. But now you got to put the quarters into the machine and start to skill up because most people, especially in a virtual setting, are not just going to walk by your website and be like, oh, chiropractor, oh, doctor. You have to proactively put yourself out there. And I think all of that, the marketing, the messaging, the the selling, all of that is predicated on believing in yourself, having that confidence to know that you have something that can really magically transform people's lives. So I think that's the most important thing that we look for that we see is someone who is very, very good at what we do, sorry, very good at what they do. And, but then they're also like at a point, a lot of times where they're stuck in the way that they treat. So a lot of it is one-on-one very time consuming and we just show them a little bit of a better structure to you know leverage their time but still give better care in a way that's very transformational not so much transactional yeah so i would say that's that's one of the things that we look for is you know one of those traits is is i don't know if it's a trait as much as a as an acquired skill is, is confidence i think it's a big one and it's that confidence from kind of being there and doing that 
Yeah. 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 One thing I always think it's probably important, which you would see as well is um, you see people who are strong and have that confidence as they have a, philo- a philosophy, don't they? You know, yeah. and I think that helps that helps you stand out. Right? Yeah. That, that, that helps you attract the right people to you. Um, I think it's very important to have a philosophy. I believe marketing is really sharing your philosophy and opinions more than how to advice. Yeah. I think if more people did that, they'd probably have an easier time attracting people to them. And yeah, I definitely agree. Philosophy is huge. Um, I think a, like a, a, a second piece to that is courage. Courage to share your voice to, to share your opinions, to, to, to get ridiculed for, to get people to say, no, you're full of shit or whatever it is. Like, where I believe in you. Mm. Um, the more you put yourself out there and the more you share your truth, the more you're going to start to polarize and not for the sake of trying to be contrarian or polarizing. It's just that you're naturally going to push people away and attract other people to you. The challenge though, is that as humans, I think the number one fear that holds us back is the fear of being disliked. So we tend to really mute our message and what we stand for and what we want to do in this world because we're more concerned about what others are going to think than we are about really speaking our truth. So I think courage is really important as it pertains to that, but also as an entrepreneur, nothing is ever certain, right? There's no guarantee. And I think a lot of people are looking for everything to be guaranteed before they begin. Um, But if that's the case, you'll never start, right? It's like... I mean, I've never run a marathon, but the only way I would be able to run a marathon is by training to run a marathon, Mm. right? Like you have to start in order to get better, to feel confident that you can do it, right? So yeah, those are a couple of traits that I think. You know, if you think back to the time when you were kind of crazy busy with the business and all the rest of it, did you maintain your health through that time? And if so, how did you make sure you did? I think I was being younger. Yeah. I mean, I think I felt pretty good for the most part from what I can recall. Cause I was, you know, mid to let's say mid twenties to early thirties before I had kids. Well, I had my first child when I was 30. So, you know, as the kids came along and started to become a little bit more challenging, but I've always, you know, I had a lot of time when I was, you know, just myself and my wife back in the day. So I had a lot of time to work in the business, but also make time for, you know, going for runs, working out, playing tennis and stuff like that. I think with kids, it's been a lot different. Mm-hmm. And I think my saving grace over the last five or six years has been getting up very early. I get up at four in the morning pretty much every day. Yeah. And that's like, for me has been like, if I have that time in the morning, it's huge for, you know, meditating, journaling, getting my most important work done. And by eight o'clock, if I'm done my most important stuff, then if like, Worst case scenario, the rest of the day was a write-off. At least I've got that stuff done. So that from a time management, energy management has been important. But I also think that, you know, like definitely staying on top of nutrition has been been huge. It's not something that I've always, it's funny because I used to be very, very particular about how I, you know, looked at my nutrition way back in the day. Over the last couple of years, it's become a little more, you know, a little more lax. But as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm now 41. Um, you know, I want to live to 144. So I'm like, if you want to live to 144, you have to take actions that are congruent with that. So making sure that, you know, I practice what I preach as much as I can and really taking care of of the nutrition side without being fanatical about it, but also just understanding like what is, what works for me? Like I don't enjoy being in the gym. I have a gym at home. I don't use it that much. I'll do it for some big heavy lifts, but I'd rather be outside most of the time. So I think for me, it's been about finding those things that really bring me joy and, and from an activity level and then really balancing, you know, 80% clean eating as much as possible while enjoying a few things, you know, here and there. So I never feel deprived. So that's, I think that's been my thing. I think I've slept sleeping wise. I've been pretty good most of my life. Um, yeah. But that's, I think that's been my, my secret well, well, sauce. Two more questions. First of all, and, and these are more kind of personal ones, but um, you've got a big family uh you've got a wife you know like so two questions is, is how do you make sure your kids have a are setting up for a long-term health because one of the questions i get a lot is you know is, I, I definitely feel parenting is more challenging around health nowadays you know because you did the challenges of devices of you know attention um 
just is that's it. I do believe it is. And so as a parent, how what are you doing to, to help your kids set up a, a the habits in a life of having movement and healthy, you know, you know, reasonable healthy choices within it? Yeah. I think the most important thing is to model it, right? Because monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And they they I mean they've my kids have called me out on so much stuff. It's been amazing. Yeah. They, they they're, do like, it. Well, you, they're like, well, you don't do that. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Right. I shouldn't even say that. You're right. Right. So like really being aware of like model the behavior that I would be proud of them emulating as they grow. So one of the big things, um, neither my wife nor I really had much of a close family dynamic growing up. So it was like, dinners in front of the TV or one person eating now, another person eating later. Uh, I think one thing we've done since day one is we have dinners as a family almost every single night together. Nice. And that's no matter what's happening during the day, even if we're at home or we're not at home, we all come together for dinner. And it's, that's something I really, really enjoy. And I think that's a really nice tradition for our kids to, to grow into because number one, we can have nice conversations. We can talk about the food uh, we can talk about what they're learning and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's been a really nice kind of foundation for our family. And then I think, you know, my kids, they, they know what I do. So they, they see me in my business and I tell them, you know, I talk to them a lot about, you know, the work that I do and the impact I make in people's lives and, you know, just like how to show up as a good person, like how to be a good human. I think that's really important for me to, to really instill in my kids I'm, I'm of the belief, like if I, if I can, if I can shower my kids with love and prepare them for life, I think I'll be happy with my job. I'm not here to uh, feed them from a silver spoon and like enable them. I can't stand that stuff. I'm all about like, how do I empower them? How do I help them become good humans, confident beings that are kind, that do good in the world and that follow their own, their own path, right? You know, we have four kids. Well, three of them are in school. So three kids, little ones, still little. Three kids were fundamentally very, very different in terms of what they're great at, what they enjoy doing. Like our oldest, he's, he's amazing. Our oldest is amazing with virtual. He can sit in front of the computer and do his lessons all day long. Yeah. Our other two, it's like pulling teeth. And to, to make them feel bad for that and to say, you have to do this because that's the way it is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me because I know like, one of them is very social. He's amazing around other kids. And that's going to be a gift for when he's a bit older. And our other one's very artistic. So he's great at drawing and doing things like that. And I just think the whole education system as a whole is just a bit flawed. So I'm not one of those parents who's like, you had 95%. That's amazing. What happened to the other 5%? Like, I don't care about that. Stuff. Yeah. It's like, did you do your best? Did you show up and give your best? Were you honest? Um, you know, one of the things I tell my kids is, the longest distance between two points is a shortcut, yeah. right? Don't look to take, don't like, don't cut corners. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Be like, be true to your word. Be a good person. Because when you have these fundamental principles and core values in place, which is something we try to instill in them, I think they're able to make better decisions. They can hopefully surround themselves with better people as they get older. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I could better address this question in about 40 years, but for now, <laughs> you know, those are some of the things that we do. Just, just last question. Cause you know, we, we're both very fortunate and we're in positions in the world where we get to kind of help people. Um, and sometimes we get put on a pedestal and I always like to ask this of people is what's, what's your struggle? What's the area that you, you know, you know, you know, this is the thing I have to work on. Yeah. Um, two things right now I'm feeling a little bit more worn out than normal. So my 4am morning routine, I've said, um, screw it. I'm going to sleep in until whenever I wake up. Okay, nice. And I've, I've come to terms with that, at least for the, you know, the, the short-term future to really just kind of allow my body to rejuvenate because I like structure, but at the same time now it's, I'm not going to go do interval workouts. I'm not going to go crush myself in the gym. It's the stupidest thing for me to do. So being okay with completely just letting go of the structure in a, in, a, in a world in which I have operated as very structured and like, go, go, go. That's been a big challenge. And I've had to do that twice in my life. So now it's like the third time. So it's, it's coming, to, coming to terms with that, which is okay. And then the second thing is patience. I'm not the most patient person. I think that ties into my personality of being very driven and wanting to get things done. 
And I'm, I have to be very aware of that with my kids. They're not at the same level of evolution and growth as I'm at. And it's like, if they do stuff that I don't understand or that's, I think is a bit ridiculous or they don't want to listen. Like I have to ask them to go to bed five times. That's where my bus, my, that's when my buttons start to be pushed. And I am aware of that. And my growth is okay. That's what's going on. Now you have space to think about how you want to respond instead of just react. So that's been a big uh, privilege really uh, of really being aware of that and doing my best to, to work through that kind of impatience. So I'd say those are kind of my two, my two things, my two struggles. Hey, um, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if people want to kind of follow your work and stuff, where would you point them to? Just the best place is Instagram. So I'm at healthpreneur. Okay. And uh, that's where I'm you know, posting and connecting with people every day. And then our main website is healthpreneurgroup.com if they want to see about, you know, more about what we do and um, everything's there. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work. And uh, I'll, I'll put a link to your uh, website and your Instagram in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And it was awesome having you on today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you got some insight from Yuri there. He's um, a very interesting man. I'll put a link to all his websites and stuff on the show notes to this episode at the Ben and James Oz podcast. That's pretty much today's show done and dusted. If you do have any questions, uh, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. If you would like to run 5Ks, uh, I've got my online product, which is called My 5K Dream. It takes you from where you are to running 5Ks in 10 weeks. Uh, it's not just a training program. It's like mentoring. It's strength work. There's strength videos, yoga videos. Uh, I've basically put everything I've learned in trying to help people run 5Ks into an online training package. If you go to my5kdream.com, you can get that there. Um, anything else to promote? If you want to support the show, you can put a review in your podcatcher. You can also just tell your friends and family about it, and that's pretty much it. I am starting a new thing soon called Keep Active with Bevan, which is like these weekly videos, which will be like three to five minutes. So I'll let you guys know about that soon because I want to kind of get that out there. And it's just short form, short five-minute blocks with some really powerful content in there. So look out for that coming up really soon. Other than that, I think I'll pretty much wrap it up because we've hit nearly the hour seven minute mark so nearly hour eight so uh, rock on as always keep being you and having a wonderful two weeks i'll see you in two weeks from now with a bevan episode let's be honest i did a bit of a bevan rant at the start here today so hopefully i've got some more content for you in two weeks from now right up see you guys later